Welcome to the You Can Man podcast, episode 105. I'm your host, Tim, and on today's show, an interview with singer-songwriter Jason Wilkes. Welcome back, guys, to the UK Man Podcast, where we believe what one man can do, you can do as well. But you got to have help from your friends and the proper know-how. Guys, on this week, I've got a longtime friend of mine, Jason Wilkes, who goes by Wilkes. He was on NBC's The Voice. You might have seen him on Team Blake uh, a few years back. We're going to have a conversation. I'm actually recording for the first time ever outside of uh, World Headquarters, UK Man Studios. I'm actually at Jason's studio now. At his house, and it's a sweet setup. We might have to get a picture and uh, post this on the on the gram or something on our Facebook group. But we are recording in uh, his studio today, and we're going to talk about his studio and building out a home studio. And uh, he does a lot of producing, all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about his story of how in the world he got into doing the singer songwriter thing. He's been in you know several groups uh, and done solo stuff. And I just think his story is really interesting, especially being on NBC's The Voice. And I really want to hear more about that. So we're going to get into all that. And so, Jason, say hello to the uh, You Can Man Army out there. Hello to the You Can Man Army out there. (laughs) I was asking uh, Jason if he'd ever done a podcast. And you've done radio, like interviews and stuff before when you were on around the time you're on The Voice and then mm-hmm. whenever you've released stuff, I guess. So you, yeah, you've done this. bands and The Voice and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I guess let's get started with the, the first question I like to ask guests is where are you on the DIY scale? So one to 10. So 10 is like, I just took out the motor and my old whatever. Oh, what is it? What's that car you used to have? Oh, no, you still have. Yeah, 62 Bel Air station wagon. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that thing's sweet. And then the non-station wagon that you photographed at our wedding, I sold for a down payment on this house. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I knew that. I don't know not. if you knew that either. It's okay. kind of sad. I it don't is kind of sad. Yeah. But <laughs> so I already kind of know that Jason's pretty good with DIY stuff. But if you could tell our audience kind of where you're at and your experience, like one to ten, if you could give yourself a score, what's that going to be? I would. I would score myself. Probably a seven or an eight, only because that's comparing myself to my dad, who I think is a 10. Oh, really? Okay. I can't live up to what my dad, I try to be my dad in this department. Do you think him listening to this and he'll be like, no, man, you got this? Like, I don't know. He might might listen to it and go, yeah, you're right. Sometimes (laughs) I ask you for a tool and you bring me the wrong tool. Oh, okay. So you obviously learned a ton of stuff from your dad. Yeah, that's that's where the whole whole DIY part of me came from. What's My what dad. would you say is your earliest memory of working doing something yourself with your dad? Definitely um car stuff. I was the kid that was like three maybe two, three, four years old around with my dad and he would be like, Bring me the screwdriver. Uh-huh. And I'd bring his no, not the flathead, the Phillips. And I'd be like, What's what's the Phillips? And he'd uh-huh. have to get frustrated and have to show me. And nice. definitely the whole hold the flashlight thing and you're holding the flashlight and then you look away and the right. flashlight goes with it. <laughs> yeah. I was oh, that kid. that's so true, man. So true. And then like you, yeah, and I've experienced the same kind of stuff with my son because like you want them to help, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and they they really want to help too. So, yeah. 
you try to find that job that they can uh, they can do. And now my son's getting older, so he's 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 a lot more capable now. Uh, but totally that that father son interaction with do it yourself stuff is uh, a whole other topic in and of itself. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good that you had a dad uh, in your life to to show you how to do a lot of things, and that got you started doing tons of things yourself. So, let's talk about how in the world you got into being a musician. Where did that first start for you? Um, well, back to my my family again. My dad, growing up in church, my dad played the acoustic, my mom played the piano, my brother played the bass, I played the drums. And we all sang, except for my dad. So we were basically the church. It's a small 35-member Southern Baptist Church band. So the, cir- much. the circle has, has not been broken. Exactly. <laughs> Played that song a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, uh, listeners who didn't get that Johnny, yeah. Ca- Johnny Cash uh, reference there. I mean, that w- was that him that first did, – did he write that? I don't know. Uh, Maybe he didn't. I don't know if he wrote it, but he definitely – Put it on the map. And oh, then sure. Southern Baptist churches took it and pretended it came from some holier place than, uh, gotcha, than gotcha. there. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, that's sim- similar, basically the same stories uh, doing DIY stuff with my dad as my, my family always did music stuff. So I did music stuff. Right, right. Okay. And then your first kind of big musical thing. I mean, you were in a band called High Flight Society. Yep. When did when did you start with that? Like that's got to be what late nineties, no? Yeah, that was um, let's see, that would have been two thousand two thousand. So okay. before that, I sang Southern Gospel with my brother and my sister forever, and then I was in various garage bands and things like that. But then, oh, I have flight, not heard about the garage bands. Oh yeah, they were great. Okay. One of them was called Jester. Another one was called Fifth Gear, and you know, a bunch of. Terrible bands. And this was all out in Cedartown, Georgia? Yeah, Cedartown, Georgia, in Seth's garage. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It was we had a couple of amps and a drum kit and thought we were conquering the world back then. Nice. And then High Flight Society did really well. Y'all yeah. y'all had some y'all had some successes there and y'all had a good run from I guess two thousand to about two thousand twelve. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I and listeners, you probably don't know this about me, but uh, years ago, I promoted a lot of shows, and I even booked High Flight for at least several of them. I don't, yeah. I don't. We were trying to, we were trying to remember Jason and I at one point what shows I booked that they were at, and we couldn't really remember. But it's all I, a blur at this it, point. It kind of is, but this would have been. You know, 2000 through 2003, four-ish, something like that was kind of yep. when I was doing most of that stuff. And so, uh, but yeah, man, y'all had some success and were even on a fairly good label there for a minute. I know y'all had some pretty major hiccups <laughs> with yeah. that. Yeah, we were on, we, we signed our first deal in 2004, 2004, 2005 with a small independent label in Nashville. Then uh, they lost their funding and went under right after we recorded the record. And then another label called Rocket Town, which is Michael W. Smith's label, bought the record from that record label, put the record out, promoted it for a week, and then they lost their funding and they went under. And then a few years after that, we got signed with Word Records slash Warner Brothers. And that was... And you had some drama with that, though, too, if I remember. Yeah, that was also dramatic. We wrote 60... Four, 64 or 65 songs 
for a record. And they basically, they signed us with the intentions of pushing us to be a different band than we were when they signed us. And they didn't realize we were going to be as hard-headed as we were about who we were. And we just never got to a middle ground. And was that a, like a faith issue? Like the content of what you guys were singing or was it more of a stylistic thing? A little bit of both. Cause, um, not to put down the Christian music industry, but there's a certain vibe that the Christian music industry has. It's kind of this undertone thing when it comes on the radio. You're like, oh, that's either country or it's Christian. Right. And 10 seconds later, you can distinguish which one it is pretty easily. And we just didn't do the thing stylistically. Most bands would do their thing, and then for their single, they would do the Christian radio thing for two songs. And then they would do their thing on the other eight on the record. And we kind of refused to do the the two compromise things. And we were lyrically, we were, and thematically, we were uh, Christian guys, and we presented ourselves as Christians on stage, but we didn't write worship songs, and we didn't like put Bible verses in our music. Right. And they kind of wanted us to, to do that, which felt inauthentic to what we were doing. And we just weren't on the same page. And then eventually gotcha. we parted ways. So they wanted you guys to fit in with the mold that uh, Christians who are listening to Christian radio would want to be able to turn that on and hear you guys and that sort of yeah. vibe. Yeah, there's they, they basically um, – Christian radio – has this thing kind of behind the scenes to where you um, cater everything to a soccer mom. They actually have a name. I can't remember her name. Oh, yeah. But um, that's the model. And the thing that we did didn't really cater to the soccer mom. It catered to the soccer mom's kids. And they were like, if we can get soccer mom in with the two songs, and then the kids are like the other eight. And we were like, well, we don't want to do those two songs. That's right. not our band. So there was a looking back, we were, or I, maybe I can't speak for the other guys, but. Me, at least, I was definitely more hard-headed than I should have been, probably. Yeah. But I was also in my 20s. and Well, yeah, so that was the yeah. other thing I, I forgot to mention, too. When you started High Flight, how old were you? I was a senior. No, I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So, yeah, we were very like, we know what we're doing, and we're, we're good at this and the best at that, and we're going to do it this way because, yeah, it was very— if somebody had a good idea for us that maybe would have been a good idea, but it didn't line up with what we were thinking at the time, I might have written it off because I was arrogant and in my 20s and doing right. what I wanted. And you you guys had the same lineup, like same guys for that entire time until you tragically lost uh, one of your members, Scotty. Yep. And uh, just a, we won't get into all that, but just a tragic uh, story, but... Uh, Man, what an incredible dude! And uh, I'm, you know, I'm really glad that I got a chance to. I, I didn't know him all that well, but um, you know, we got to hang out a few times, and uh, he was a really solid dude. But I know that that was like a, just a huge hit to y'all. Yeah, that was definitely um, completely blindsided because it wasn't there wasn't anything like air quotes wrong with Scotty health wise. Right, just something happened, and they the autopsy came out that he had a had a seizure and hit his head and just didn't make it. So right. completely out of nowhere. And the the cool thing about the way that High Flight ended is not cool that we kind of ended because of Scotty passing away and we didn't want to replace him. But we were kind of on the verge of maybe quitting as a band anyways because we were so frustrated and fed up with yeah. the industry. And technically we never 
we never like broke up as a band. Technically, we're still a band. We're just not doing anything. Okay. But that definitely pulled the rug out from under us. That's, you know, you saying that you're still technically a band, there's going to be people that are like diehard high flight society yeah. people. They're going to be like, what? You're telling Did me you? there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I remember I, at a show, I, I shot this photo of Scotty and he was a, he was right. a, he was a drummer. on the wall oh, right there. Yeah? yeah. It's in a frame on the wall. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And another one of my photos is up oh, there yeah, too. Right over the other photo. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> well, the photo that I did of Scotty, I remember... Thinking like, I don't know if I like this very much. I, yeah. I almost, I, I feel like I almost didn't even deliver that image. But I was like, ah, oh, they might like to have it. And then you said like, that was one of the best photos of Scotty. So yeah, that's hands, hands down the best photo that was ever taken of him. Oh, well, that's great. I'm so glad that I uh, didn't delete that one. Oh, that, I know. That yeah, I bad. remember, I remember texting you about it or something because I was going to get uh, my friend, John uh, DeBias. He has this a website called Jesus Freak Hideout and they're doing do a music thing for mostly Christian rock and that kind of thing. But um he's also a ridiculous artist and he does sketch like not sketches but really realistic yeah just pencil drawings. I heard about this guy from you and I followed him on Instagram yeah. and so I'll I'll see his stuff pop he's, up. He's ridiculous. But yeah. I remember texting you and being like, hey, I think I'm gonna get John to sketch that photo of Scotty as like a, we were using it as a gift for different people and we all wanted prints of it. And I remember you responded to me like, Oh, that's awesome. Sorry. It's granny. I had to run on my ISO like 1600 and like <laughs> so li- list of stuff. Right. That well, that's funny. why it probably ended up black and white. Too. Yeah. It was definitely, it's one of yeah. those pictures where it's like black and white. It's going to look sweet in color. It's yeah. For knows? you non-photographers out there, especially, well, it's not so much an issue now with the cameras that are out now with such amazing sensitivity, whatever. For, I won't get into all of it, but uh, yeah, back in the day, you have a lot of noise is what we call noise, like grainy stuff yep. on the image and the, the color would kind of degrade a little bit and stuff. And so the solution to that was, well, this is going to be black and white. And that's what I'm going to deliver that in. So that's why it uh, became black and white. That's uh, why all the wedding reception photos most of the time are black and white from back then. Yeah, exactly. Just make them all black and white. Yeah. It's it's artsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Artsy and saves your, saves your butt on clarity. Yeah, I can remember. I don't shoot weddings really anymore, but I remember telling wedding clients like, all right, now if, if I deliver it in black and white, it, it, it stays black and white. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. deliver it in color. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, what about the red shoes? Yeah. Can make no, it all black and white sorry. with red shoes? Yeah. No, can't do that. Can't do that. Uh, <laughs> okay. So High Flight Society, you had a really good run with that. Mm-hmm. And you already kind of had started doing solo stuff before High Flight Society was kind of done. Yeah. And then, but then you started doing your solo stuff almost exclusively, mm-hmm. right? So talk to us about that, how how you transitioned into that and the successes that you had there leading up to NBC's The Voice. Yeah. Well, after towards the end of High Flight, I started I would I was always the guy that demoed the songs. A demo, if you don't know, is just recording the song but not in such a strategic manner that you're gonna release it. It's literally like this is what the song is supposed to sound like. Here's a demonstration of what it might sound like. So really stripped down versions and I would uh, demo the songs in the van or wherever we were, and I started putting these stylistic things on it that didn't really match High Flight. And the guys would be like, it's a cool song. I don't know about the 
the way the acoustic yeah, is. Yeah, save that for yourself, Jason. Yeah, that song's not the worst. That's not the best. So <laughs> I put that one over to the side. But um, started entertaining the idea of putting some of those out myself and kind of started doing that towards the end of High Flight. There was a bunch of things that happened. I actually ended up, I played bass for the band Disciple for three years. Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. That's, that's like a blip, like com- feels like a completely different lifetime. It's insane. But we used to tour with Disciple. And then after High Flight disbanded a few years after that, Kevin, the lead singer, called me needing a bass fill in. And one thing led to another and I ended up joining the band for three years. Yeah. And for listeners who don't know, Disciple, pretty big, like Christian rock band that had been, yeah. had been around forever. And you you guys had kind of networked with them, I guess, mm-hmm. when you were with High Flight. Yeah, we were all friends at that point. Yeah. So you already knew them and everything. So you played uh, bass for them. Did you... Did you sing with them while you? Yeah, one one reason Kevin wanted me in the band was because I, I have a high vocal range, and he would record no. these. Yeah, <laughs> oh, he would he would record these giant harmony parts that nobody could sing live. So he was like, when he called me, he's like, "Can you play bass?" And I was like, "I play guitar, so probably maybe I could figure it out." And he was like, "Great." Because I really want you to just sing background vocals and figure the bass out. Okay. So and then it morphed into he wanted to do like a journey like dual lead vocal thing. And ah, on okay. the record that I was on, we switched off lead vocals a little bit on a couple tracks. But um, then I ended up basically quitting, leaving Disciple because Disciple was touring 250 days a year. Yeah. And uh, I had Lindley at that point. Right. I guess we should back up. So you did get married. In, yeah, in, I got in married. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we actually kind of reconnected because I shot Jason's wedding. So that's yeah. how we kind of became friends. And that was 2009. Is 2008. That right? The end of 2008. October okay. 2008. Yeah. All right. I was close. Yeah. So you had a family. So you, you couldn't be on the road that many days yeah. out of the year unless you wanted to just kind of neglect your family a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much exactly what happened. But the weird part about that is some some family dynamics – that really works. I know some musicians like Kevin, the lead singer of Disciple, he's toured 250 days a year for 20-something years, and he has three kids and a wife, obviously. But um, their dynamic works really well. They're just the, – their personality types and the way that they work together, it doesn't impact them negatively. It almost is – it almost like empowers their relationship and his relationship with his kids. Yeah, I mean, obviously people figure it out because there's tons yeah. of people that do this. Yeah, exactly. But I think it takes a certain type of person. And I thought I could be that type of person before I had kids because it kind of worked with just me and Chelsea. But then when Lindley came along, I realized three years in that I'm not that kind of person. And right. I have like I have to be here. And that yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea can't handle it. I can't handle it. Yeah, and, and Lindley can't handle it. Yeah, and your wife is very busy with – so she runs a salon – yeah, uh, man, it's so funny because I'll I'll talk to so many um, like ladies that my friend that my wife is friends with and stuff, and then um, oh, come to find out, they go to Chelsea's salon. Like every <laughs> like all these people, and I'm like, you go there too? They're like, yeah. I mean, that's it's like the place if you're around like kind of North Atlanta, Cobb, Cherokee area. You, you you go there. Yeah. I mean, it's like she is dominating in her field. Yeah, that's for sure. The name of the salon is Bloom. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so she stays really busy with that. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you're taking a lot of the parental responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you got, you're, you're, you're dadding pretty hard. Right. And, uh, so I assume, you know, you were used to taking care of your daughter a whole lot and then you're going on the road that much. Just yeah. not going to work. I was, ba- yeah, I was basically, a, I was a stay at home dad the first two years that Linland was alive. Yep. And then I went on the road for 250 days a year for three years. Yeah. And when she was about to turn six, it was like, okay, this is, it wasn't to a point to where it was like my marriage is struggling, but it was the point where I could look down the road and be like, if I don't do something now, my marriage is going to be struggling. Right. So I had to, it was one of those things where it wasn't that I was unhappy at the time. So it was a hard decision because it wasn't like, I'm unhappy. I need to go home. It was like, this is amazing, but I got to go home because I have a feeling about, right. about the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so, I mean, that's wisdom right there. You know, yeah. you're looking ahead and realizing that this isn't really unhealthy right this minute, but it can very easily become that. Yeah, it was starting to show early warning signs. And right. this my family's way more important than any other stuff. I yeah, do, well, so. good on you for uh, making that really tough decision to do that. But hey, ultimately, it was great because, you know, then you focus more on your solo stuff, yeah. which then got you to a point where you're like, hey, I think I'm going to try out for NBC's The Voice. Yeah. And you made it. Yeah, that's so. That story, it seems like every everything that's ever happened to me is some super weird, um, weird way of hap- a weird way of coming to me. But the voice, the way that actually happens, I was sitting sitting here at this desk recording a demo of a song I'd written, and um, I got a phone call, or no, I got an email that said it was a talent scout from the Voice. Her name was Adriel, and I was like, this kind of sounds fake, Adriel from the Voice. <laughs> And she was like, I saw a video of you on YouTube. I'm a talent scout and we, we scout people out for the show and you don't do the whole cattle call thing. You skip all that and go right to executive oh, producer okay. auditions. And I was like, well, that's, that's cool, but I think that's fake. Okay. So I haven't heard any of this actually. I, yeah. For like a couple of years now, I've been meaning to like talk to you about it. I just never did. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hadn't heard that. I thought you went and actually auditioned, but they found you. Yeah, I was I was way too prideful to go to the, the cattle call, <laughs> cattle call audition. My wife had, wife called me out on that, but it's, it's funny because I thought the email was fake, and then I didn't respond to it for like ten minutes, and then I got a phone call from somewhere in Los Angeles, and I was like, "That's not that girl." Ignore. Sent it to voicemail, and then I got a voicemail. I was like, "Hey, this is Adriel from the Voice." Said the whole thing that she that she said in the email, so I called her back. It turned out to be real. But my first inclination was I've been a musician at that point for 15 years, 16, something like that. And uh, I've always just hated American Idol and The Voice and America's Got Talent. Nothing didn't hate what was happening. I just didn't like watching them because it seemed like in my goofy, like hustling at musician mind, people were trying to take shortcuts. I was like, oh, no, I've been, okay. I, I was in a 15 passenger van for 12 years and then I did this and this sucked and that was hard. And you guys just go on the voice and skip okay. it on, you know, and I just didn't, I, I don't know. I had this weird way of viewing it. The music industry uh, worked some, just did some work on me in my mind <laughs> that I had to get over. Okay. But I uh, went, went upstairs and was like, hey, Chelsea, somebody from the voice just called me. They want me to come audition for executive producers 
for a season 14 of The Voice. And I was basically like, isn't that funny? I'm not going to do that. Like, that's stupid. You know I would never do that. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I think you're going to do that. And I was like, I, I don't want to do that. And she said, you need to go call her back and tell her you'll do it. I was like, okay, I'll call her back. And I'll see what she says. So I called her back and told her that I kind of didn't want to do it. Was I was it, unsure. Was it like a, a feeling like... Was it a feeling like this isn't going to go anywhere, and so why bother? I really don't even know what it was. It was huh. kind of like I probably wouldn't make it anyways, or I'm not 21 anymore, or that's just a TV show. It's more about the judges than anything. It was all this just gotcha. stuck-up musician like stuff in my head. Okay. So it'd be like if somebody called you and was like, hey, I got an opportunity for a photographer. All you got to do is show up and take five pictures. We'll pay you ten thousand dollars. You're gonna be on the <laughs> front of Rolling Stone magazine if we choose it, and we'll pay you a little bit to be See, there. Now you're, you're like, making now you're making me. I, I've got this sense of regret going through my brain now because I have now. This, this sounds super silly, and this is not on par with being on NBC's <laughs> The Voice. But I had the Weather Channel call me one time, <laughs> and they wanted me to come do like a little segment because I they had found like this fall photo that I that I shot. I remember that photo. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. If you listeners, if you Google, actually, I think it's kind of finally fallen off, but it like, I think I shot this thing like 2009, this gorgeous fall photo. It was one of these just like right place, right time. I had walked out to uh, meet a friend in my uh, driveway and then I just saw this gorgeous light coming from behind <laughs> these leaves. I was like, I got to go grab my camera. And I just went and grabbed it and, and shot this photo. And anyways, I made the dumb mistake of kind of just putting it out there. Actually, I, I don't regret it. I, I'm kind of glad that it made the rounds all over the world. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, so forever, like you, you you Google like fall photo or something, this this picture would pop up. And so the Weather Channel called me and they wanted me to do some segment on like fall photo photography. But I was like, yeah. I'm a hack. Like I can't. You need like a nature photographer. That's, like I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I would feel like a total hack if I did that. You know, yeah. I didn't say that, but I was just like, ah, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably not. I'm not a nature photographer, so I probably, you know, and looking back, look, people just fake it till they make it. I, yeah. I could have done just fine on that, and yeah. it would have been totally fine. Now, would it would it have gotten me a bunch more work? I don't know. Probably not, but it would have been a cool experience. Anyhow, sidetrack. Uh, so I know the feeling that you yeah. had, and I'm glad that Chelsea was there to slap some sense into you and yeah. say, no, you, you're going to do this. Yeah, that's pretty much it. what you said. How you described it is exactly the same because it was like, well, I'm, a, I'm a songwriter and a performer. I'm not a karaoke singer. Like, I don't sing yeah. other people's songs. Oh, yeah. I yeah. write songs. Yeah, And it was very hoity-toity, like I was being dumb. And But when I called her back, she was like, well, um, if you want to come try it out, the executive producer, these first two auditions, nobody ever knows. It's not on TV. If you hate it, just tell us you don't want to do it. Even if you make it, you can say, I don't want to do it. You don't sign a contract until two rounds later. And then I was still like, I don't know. And then she said, the very first episode of season 13, which is the one before me, the um, first episode aired. And 10 million, 10 million people watched. And this year we expected to be 12 or 15 million. And then I was like, okay, so well, what do I, what do I have to do? And she said, you just learn a song, a cover song that's 90 seconds, verse, chorus, chorus, and sing it. And if you get a blind audition, you do that and 15 million people will see it. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, when you put it that way, that sounds pretty easy. So did you have to fly out to LA for that? 
The first one was actually in um, Charlotte, maybe. It was one of those, one of those South Carolina, one of those Carolina cool cities. I don't know okay. which one it was, but it was a little warehouse thing up there. And then um, that was the executive producer audition. And then the next one I had to fly out to Los Angeles, which was the one right before the blinds, which was another executive producer, which is they're just whittling it down to the amount they need for blind auditions. Okay. So you had already known, okay, I made it past the first round going to this other one. So you kind of already yeah. knew. And part of all this was you don't tell anybody that you're going to, you're really doing this. Or yeah. was that a requirement? That's actually, that's the good, the way that she even pitched it to me. It was like the, the only, the only thing you have to sign con- contractually before you do the first audition, even when you do the cattle call audition, the first thing you have to sign before you sing is a confidentiality agreement okay. where you legally can't tell anybody anything. So I was obligated not to let people know that I did it. So if I didn't make it and they didn't air me not making it. And you probably really loved Nobody that. had to know. You, you loved that too. Because yeah, you, did. you didn't want to tell anybody anyways. There's no way I was going to tell somebody that I lost on The Voice. If I would have went and, did, and got a blind audition and didn't make it, you might not even know I, even, uh, <laughs> I ever even did it. <laughs> okay. So then you made it past that second audition. And then was that at the point where they're like, okay, you're in? Yeah, the set. Well, the second audition um, is the one before the blinds, and then the blind auditions they fly you back out for weeks. And that's the one that we actually see. That's the first one you see, but it's pre-recorded. It was like a year before. It doesn't go live until the um, top twenty-four. Okay, but it was pre-recorded, and they have a certain amount of people they run through. They have this schedule, and um, the long the. Long or short version of the long story of it is they get enough people where they know for sure they will fill the spots, but they pad it a little bit. So there's there's a chance you do all these auditions. You're out in L.A. for two weeks for the one before the blinds and you go back for the for the actual blinds. and You're there five or six weeks. There's a chance that all the teams will fill up before you even get to sing. So dang, five or six weeks. Yeah, you're out there a long time. Dang, because they're doing all the pre-filming and all the B-roll, and and it's okay. a lot of people, so it takes forever. Right. Okay. So, did you come home at all during that, or you were out there the whole time? Yeah, I was out there the whole time. Dang. The okay. good thing is they do they do pay you to be out there, but it's not like I mean, being a musician, it was like, oh, I'm getting paid. Yeah, to be somewhere. <laughs> but like, if a normal nine to five person. Yeah, out there, you, you'd be taking a hit for sure. Oh, yeah, because who can just crossed. leave their job for five to six weeks? Yeah, and, there was a few people that quit their jobs, which is a horrible idea. I would not advise that. Okay, but, so you're five or six weeks, you're going through this process thinking, there's a chance I may get to the end of this and still not even do it. Yeah, not even get a chance to go up there. And when I did go up there, I got Blake. Blake and Adam turned their chairs for me. And uh, Kelly, by the time I went up, Kelly and um, Alicia's teams were already full. And Blake and Adam had like two spots left. So Okay. And you already know all of this because you're talking with the other contestants and yeah. stuff. Or like, do you watch when the others are doing their thing? Like how they does have that a, work? They have a lot of, they take a lot of precautions to keep people from ruining the show. So they put things in place to where the people who haven't auditioned yet aren't supposed to know what has happened or who's gotten through. And they like do things with cell phones and stuff to keep you from being able to communicate with the other people so that if something happens and you ac- and somebody accidentally finds out and it ruins it for the public, it will completely ruin the entire show. Oh, for sure. It's well, like, I, I guess I was, I was asking 
But you're hearing that from the other contestants. So I yeah, guess we're hearing was, it kind of through the grape. We're not supposed to, but contestants figure out ways to let other contestants know. Like I just got chosen by yeah. Kelly Clarkson or whatever. Yeah. They'll walk through the lobby and you'll see them through the window and they'll give you a weird nod. And you're like, oh, okay, they made it. And then you talk to your other friend like, yeah, they got on Kelly's team. She's full. I heard she's full. Okay. So you're kind of doing the calculations in the back yeah. of your mind thinking like, oh, crap. I'm about to go up and I pretty much know that there's only a, a little handful of spots actually yeah, left. Yeah, very few left. I went on the next next to the last day and then they filled the teams the day after I went with like three people. The first three people filled the teams. Okay, so it, if it had been like another day before you had done, you may not have even had a chance. Yeah, I wouldn't even have been They would have just sent me home. Sometimes they give you a pass to come back the next season and try it again, but you have to do the whole five or six weeks for the blinds again. Oh, man. But okay. they put you at the front of the line. Bren, actually, Bren Cartelli, that one hour season, that happened to her the season before. Oh, she didn't, okay. She did the blinds and didn't get the audition because the teams got full. Interesting. Okay. What song did you sing for the initial audition? I'm trying to remember. For the blind? Yeah. It was uh, One Head Light by the Wallflowers. That's right. That's right. Okay. And then both Adam and Blake turned their chair. Yeah. They both turned their chair on the last note of the song. Yeah. So it was like, okay. do, 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 do. And then they turned their chair. Like, what, what they had like that, a second left. What was that feeling like? It was, I'd already decided... I'm I'm pretty good about handling things and especially high pressure moments. I perform well in high pressure moments and they don't really bug me. And if I get it, that's great. But if I don't, I know that I kind of did everything I could. So it doesn't bother me too much. So it was nerve wracking, but it was harder on my wife and my daughter, oh, okay. Lindley. Lindley had already started crying because the song was over. And she and they thought got I the camera get, on the, yeah. and all that. So she yeah. thought like, Daddy didn't get a chair turn, and when she looked down to start to start crying, that's when they turned. And then Chelsea's like, "No, look, he got it," and she couldn't uh, see because yeah. it was around a cameraman. And she was freaking out, and then right, it was very dramatic. So, listeners who watched the season and you've seen and you saw Jason, you know that Jason's just very even keeled, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so. That was a whole kind of persona too that got on the show as well. But I, I will say that watching you. You were you. Like, yeah. you didn't change. In my mind, when I saw you on The Voice, I was like, that's that's Jason. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that he's being any different than he would if I was just hanging out with him. Yeah, that was the hardest part. Everybody, everybody says, like, was it nerve-wracking singing in front of those people or singing for Blake Shelton? And, like, it wasn't at all. That's not a big deal. Blake could walk in or... Any like name celebrity person could walk in here and be like, play me a song. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. No big deal. Whatever. Yeah. Now that's, that's, a, that's a special talent right there. I think that there's something about that, something about your personality that allows you, and maybe it's just the years upon years of you being on stage and you just yeah. done it so many times that it was just kind of natural to you. I mean, mm -hmm. heck you had been doing it since you were what, 15 years old or something, right? Yeah, yeah, constantly proving myself to people from the stage. And I think it's a combination of that and my older brother is, we're kind of renaissance. We're like a renaissance family. Everybody in my family is kind of, can kind of do anything. Mm -hmm. If we decide we want to do something, we can do it. And I grew up behind my brother who was just killing it at everything. Yeah. So I was constantly chasing him and 
that gave me confidence to beat everybody else because all I had to do was just beat my brother. So that gave me this confidence when I was a when I was a kid. But um, yeah, and we'd be remiss too to not uh, talk about the the faith that you have in Jesus, and mm -hmm. you know that being such a huge part of doing what you do. Like you know, you had your identity in God going into that, and so you know you can't replace that with just you know just regular old confidence i'm just yeah. going to just no i mean that's something really deep seated that i feel like played a major role in you being able to do that with confidence i would say yeah definitely because um one thing i did, i left out of the whole if i told you the actual the whole story of how i did the voice thing how that even came to be it's like a 3 hour story Sure, But a, a small part of it was a bunch of stuff that happened where even when Chelsea told me to do it, I still didn't want to do it. And tons of really crazy things happened to where God kind of started by like, here's this little thing to show you that you should do it. And then a week later, it's like, here's this thing because you're still doubting it. Right. And then eventually I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this still kind of, but I know 100 percent that I'm supposed to do this because of all these things that have happened and it's been made very clear to me. So. At that point, by the the blinds and all that stuff, I was already at the point of, well, I know I'm supposed to be here, and if I don't get a chair, I was supposed to be. If I don't get a chair turn, I was supposed to be up here yeah. up until this point, so it's fine. Yeah, you you realize that there was something, there was a purpose there that, hey, if yeah. you didn't immediately know what that was, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay, because, you know, the Lord was directing your steps, and mm -hmm. you had faith in that, and so that gave you the confidence to go go through with everything. So. Let's talk about when you were, I guess it was the second time you sang, or was mm -hmm. it the finals or something, and the, and the mic dropped? What? That was, I don't even remember which one it was. That was the third or f fourth. It was, it was one of them. Okay, okay. One of them. And when I say her. mic dropped, I mean actually dropped. Like <laughs> yeah. like the, the mic stand like malfunctioned or something. It yeah. wasn't tightened down. Jason starts singing. And the mic just literally drops down, and you just you just roll with it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was like it didn't happen. You just like just kept going with it. Yeah, that was a hundred percent of being in high flight and disciple for so many years, and so many things happening on stage. You just kind of get a second nature. Just to, it's kind of like with again with a camera when the light changes, your thumb immediately goes to the ISO or the shutter right. and just fixes it. Yep, and it's you don't even think about it, and you keep shooting. Sure, it's a similar similar thing, but. What happened with that was I had this straight mic stand and they tightened in the middle with the little the little thing and the bottom was a circle, a, a little circle stand, not the three legs. And part of my, my air quotes, like swagger stage presence on that song was I drug the mic stand around with me as I walked and I kept my hands on it, but I kind of rolled it next to me and um, the stage hand didn't tighten, like crank it, crank it down. So what I didn't realize was happening when I was pulling it was the bottom was actually rolling okay. and un like un like loosening up that middle section that right. wasn't cranked all the way down. And I had my hands on the stand on the mic until the big note of the song, and then I let my hands off for this dramatic moment, and the mic just plummeted to the ground. Oh man! So I just plummeted to my knees at the same time. <laughs> a lot of people thought that I just did this dramatic thing on purpose, and right, but it was just. I think that's an, that another thing back to me having faith that I was supposed to be there for whatever reason. And um, that particular moment was funny because I literally think the whole plan of me getting up there was the microphone stand to screw up 
and for me to have to do this dramatic thing because that was the last song that I sang, except for the finale thing when I came back with the group. Right. That was the last song that I sang for just by myself. And the whole thing was they made a huge deal of it because that happened and all the coaches like went way over their time. They were literally telling producers like, hang on, but it, it's live, but don't go to the commercial yet. I got to say this thing and kind of gushed over it for a while. And it made it this like viral moment that right. I felt like I did a, I did a good job on the song. I was happy with how I sang it, but it would have been like one quarter of the right. impact that it got. Oh, I'm sure they were loving that. Like, yeah. I mean, reality type TV shows. Yeah, stuff. they they live for that. Like, they, oh, yeah, they they look for every little moment to make right how something. Can, how can we over dramatize this yeah. this situation? And uh, yours was not made up. <laughs> Just yeah, like it was handed right to them. Yeah, an actual malfunction there. So. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't end up winning, obviously, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you did come back because you were in the finals. So you came back and did the whole, I don't, well, I don't know what they call that, the big, like. Just, yeah, the finale. Yeah, where you all kind of sing together mm-hmm. and you have your different parts and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what about uh, choosing the songs that you sang? Did they give you, I, I'm trying to remember, like, I know you got to choose some of those, but then some of them not. Yeah, it's it's kind of some people that go on the show get to choose every single song. Some people get almost every cho- song chosen for them, but it all hinges back on copyright issues and artists giving permission. So okay. a lot of my songs, I chose to do Don't Speak, the No Doubt song, um, which is the one where the mic stand happened. And I chose The Climb by Miley Cyrus. But the other ones, like One Headlight was chosen for me. And uh, nobody to blame for my blind or my uh, battle uh, thing was chosen chosen for us. But the issue that I had was my favorite bands are The Killers, Coldplay, uh, John Mayer, and like Keith Urban and a few other people. So my lists of songs I wanted to do were riddled with these artists. And every time they would come back and be like, hey, all the artists you give us, you've given us just happened to be the artists that pretty much refuse to let their songs be on TV, except uh, for these two Coldplay songs, but they're on every season like three times, and uh, we've hit our quote on, we just don't want to do them again, and I'm just like, well, yeah, I don't want to do those anyways, I've seen them so much. So then they would suggest songs to me with a list, and I kind of would pick off of a, that's how I got the the climb I picked off of a list of like 20 songs, I just went tried to find the one that people would least expect me to sing. and was like, there's Miley Cyrus. I'll do that song. Uh-huh. Now, do they give you studio time to go practice or is this just like you're in your hotel room practicing? It's this a stuff? little bit of both. You get, you practice in your hotel room and then they have, they, they book the conference rooms and you get, you can book a session in the conference room to go in there and, and rehearse, but you get a couple times with the band. It's not, not a, ton of time at all with the band but the first time you go in with the band they record it and they give you the recording without your vocal on it so you can practice to it okay that makes so sense it's very appropriately for this conversation fairly diy mm-hmm. it's like here's here's the the song without your vocal do your best to pretend you're on stage for the next two weeks so you get the recording the karaoke recording if you will yeah. of you you know without your voice track and then yep. and then you in your hotel room, in your car, whatever, mm-hmm. you're just over and over and over going through and practicing it. Yeah, basically. 
the NBC The Voice like owns those songs, right? Because they put those out on like iTunes and all that, right? Is mm-hmm. that is that they how like, that works? They don't own the masters, but they've gotten pre-approved permission from the people that own the masters to use them, okay. or they've purchased. I don't really know. There's a few ways you can do it. You can pay artists to use their songs. Sometimes catalogs are owned by record labels, and you can pay the label to okay. use whatever in their catalog. But that's one reason some artists don't get to do songs they want is because just from a legality standpoint, it has to be pre-approved for you to sing it. And you can't just roll up in there and say, well, I'm singing this song or I'm going right. home. Then like, well, legally you can't sing it, so I guess you're going home. Yeah. What was it like – Working with Blake Shelton and like how much time did you actually spend with him? Um, we usually the the sessions with the band and the coach were like thirty minutes at a time, and there was usually I think bef- before after the blinds, you kind of do some shooting things where you're like in the same room, but you're not really doing anything. It's just him with the the his team and just kind of getting B roll. And then actually working with him before the the second song, me and my battle partner Jordan Kirkdorfer only went in with him and the guest, the guest judge or the guest coach for thirty minutes once. And then after the second song, I went in with him, I think twice in the third song, twice thirty minutes each. So it's not not a ton of time. Okay. Well, how was that working with him? Do you feel like you really benefited from hearing what he had to say? Was there something um, where you're like, man, I never thought about it that way or? Not not really, but that's kind of the way it works. I don't know how it is with the other coaches. I think Alicia, Alicia, her team, she was, she's very like artistically minded and, and even her most, like she could have like Kelly could come into the room with Alicia and Alicia would have some crazy thing of like, get out of your brain and picture yourself in the ocean and <laughs> let go. Like you know, right. she's very like that. So she was really hands on with trying to get people to put their minds somewhere else to not overthink things. Blake, Blake and Adam both are very like, if I can tell you something to do, I'll tell you, but if you're killing it, you're, you're killing it. And, right. Do your own, do your thing. Yeah. And not saying that I was killing it necessarily, but there's a handful of people like me, uh, uh, Pryor, Baird, who's on my team, Kyla Jade. We were all very seasoned musicians. So it was kind of like we would go in and sing it and Blake would be like, yeah, that's great. Hmm. Do it again. Okay. So we didn't really get any in, instruction necessarily, but it, I wouldn't, I don't say that in a complaining type type way sure because i if i was in his shoes I would, i'd probably do the same thing but it did help in the fact that you're in the room with blake shelton well yeah it gave you saying and he's like that sounds great yeah like, oh cool i mean you got confidence yeah. just hearing from blake shelton like yeah, exactly. you just did a good job cool yeah. keep doing that and you got a good solid chance yeah funny okay. enough before the last one to where i didn't make it through the <laughs> the rehearsal before before the when i sang don't speak i sang through it one time he got up up off of his chair, walked across the room, high fived me, gave me a hug, and said, "Welcome to the finals." There's no way you're not getting through with that song. Oh, cool. Okay. And then it came down to him choosing between me and Spencer, and he chose Spencer. Oh. And I was like, "Dang it, Blake, you lied to me." <laughs> not really. Was- Interesting. Okay. Wow. See, th- these are uh, these are behind the scenes stuff yeah. that you just won't get anywhere else but the <laughs> You Can Man podcast. Yep. 
okay, that's interesting. Do you still talk to Blake? Do y'all keep in touch? No, I, if if I saw him somewhere, like I know that I spent enough time with him to know that if I saw him out, he would know he would know who I was. And if I didn't see him first, he would probably say my name and come. I over mean, and you do have out. long red hair, so I, that helps I a lot. think he he probably recognize. One reason that I have the persona <laughs> that I have and the look that I have is literally that reason. So yeah. Yeah, because that's what you had when you were on The Voice, so you just kind of kind of kept with it. Just keep it. But I don't have his phone number. We don't. St- I had somebody somebody at a show last week uh, tap me on the shoulder at the merch table and was like, "Hey, you going to you going to the wedding?" And I was like, "Uh, <laughs> what what wedding?" And they were like, "You know, Blake and Gwen." And I was like, "No, I'm not. I didn't get invited to his wedding. I was on one season of however many." seasons he's done on the voice but yeah yeah, we don't stay in regular contact or anything but i've actually i've i've kept a more extensive relationship with kelly clarkson than with okay than with blake i don't like call her either but i've we've hung out with her a couple times um like backstage at atlanta shows and stuff okay more so than i have even with blake and i wasn't even on our team Interesting. Okay, we're running a little long, so I want to kind of get to the stuff you're doing now. So yeah. now you're in a group uh, that you call Wilkes and the Coles. Yeah, which so, is super creative, just last names. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's you and then a husband and wife team. Yeah. Uh, and you are doing some crazy good stuff. And I, when I listen to it, I'm like, I'm like listening to it in a car with with my wife. I'm like, can you not hear this? Be on the radio. I mean, listen to this. You know, I, I forget which song it was. I, I was uh, letting. I guess it was before you released it. Maybe you had sent me mm-hmm. something, and I let my wife Bethany listen to it. She's like, that's giving me chills. So I was like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, so you've seen some success with that, but mm-hmm. man, again, it's like one of these things, like. Uh, you've been at this for so long. You've been on NBC, The Voice. Like, what is that like? Like keeping stuff going, you know, and just yeah. chasing your dreams when you're not seeing what you know everybody else would call success. I mean, you've seen that. You've seen that success. You've been on NBC's The Voice, but yeah. like, you're still kind of chasing the. Like, do you feel like you've made it? <laughs> like, you know, like how how do you how do you describe that? Yeah, I think um, my personality in particular, I don't think that I would ever, I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I feel like I've made it. Yeah, but, I figured you'd say that. Yeah, because I'm always, uh, my my wife gets so frustrated at me because I'm constantly trying to figure out how to climb the next ladder step. And she's right. like, I mean, you're in a pretty good spot. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm still... But um, well, that's like me. I, every time I leave a photo shoot, I'm like, that sucked. Yeah, <laughs> and then they you send them one per, one like social media like glimpse, and they're like, oh, this is making me cry. I love it so much. Yeah, so it's it's that same that same thing. But I know people that that also don't even have my personality that are way way less not driven or determined, but I'm just future oriented, I guess. Um, that have done much bigger things than I have and still feel like they yeah. haven't like made it yet because they hadn't won a Grammy or they have won a Grammy, but they haven't gotten a number one on country radio or, you know, fill in the blank. So I think the, right. the main thing I've tried to come to in the past 
or that I'm gotten better at, I'm getting better at is realizing that this is that what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. And as long as that, as long as I'm doing it, then it's kind of, I kind of have made it as long as I don't right. quit. And then just get like, I started a photography company for a minute. Right. And went to India on a mission trip, took pictures, sold all my music gear. I was like, I'm done. And that lasted maybe two months. Yeah. And as long as I don't do something like that again and just decide sure. from now on, no more music, that would be not making it. Right. But I think as long as I stick with it and I'm doing, writing the songs that I feel like I'm supposed to write and release, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, just think of all the exposure you're going to get being on this podcast. So, you oh, know, I, know. I mean, this like, might be your break. It's like the voice 2.0. <laughs> Oh, good deal. What, what what would you say you would describe as like your next step? Like if, you know, if X happened, you'd be like, sweet. Like what, what are you looking for to be that next step in your career? Um, I think at this point I'm, um, I view, I view things a good bit differently than I used to. So now I think for the Wilkes and the Coles stuff, if a record label walked in the door and was like, we're offering you a deal. Right now, I'd probably be like, yeah, I don't want that. Yeah. Just because so you've got burned before. Yeah. and it, Or if they offered me the, a deal that they don't offer artists anymore, like too good to be true, but it was true, maybe I would entertain it. But um, not owning your own stuff and not making your own decisions is um, frustrating. So um, I look at things a lot differently now. So for my, the music side of stuff, I just want – our songs that we write and we release for people to listen to them and be impacted by them. And then outside of music, just um, like my salon's business, we're looking at, or my wife's salon business, we're looking at ways of expanding it and maybe with another location or this other business venture. And um, Lindley's going into a different school this year. It's like kind of like all of that stuff takes precedent over right. over music so as long as that stuff is progressing and doing good and Lindley's growing up and she's not you know growing up a crazy person as long right. as I'm doing a good job as a dad and then musically I mean it's good any anytime I release music if it does better than the last song I released yeah I at least feel good about it yeah I tell you what you've been doing that for this stuff y'all been releasing it's like so good and I'm not well, no, I should say, so your stuff, I don't think falls into the genre of country. Yeah. But, you know, your solo stuff and everything is definitely lean much more that way. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of modern-ish country, but I like your stuff. Yeah. So I don't know what that says about the mass appeal of yeah. your, I, I don't know. But if you're into country, you would really love a lot of the stuff that you're producing. Yeah, we try, we try to do, we we. Put it in the country genre just because from a business standpoint, you have a better shot if you classify yourself as as a right. big a big genre name rather than saying I'm Americana like Georgia folk. And people are like, well, I probably don't like that. But country, you have a better shot. But um, we're kind of country on the surface and people that like country, I think, wouldn't have a problem with what we do. It's country enough. But we try to do it in a way that we can also access people who don't really give haven't given country a chance in a while and we're a little more lyric focused and try to move people a little more lyrically and do some more kind of left leaning left field not completely down the middle 
right. stuff that lets new listeners. Oh yeah, and I think it. you've accomplished that for sure. Yeah, that's uh, the goal anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, last few minutes, I want to talk about your studio that you've built out here. Cause yeah. so we're sitting in Jason's basement and before he did all of this, I'll try to get some photos up on Instagram or on our Facebook group so you guys can see it. Sweet space. Uh, but before much of it was just cinder block walls. Mm-hmm. And so tell us about what you've done to kind of make this into a space where you can actually record and make it sound halfway decent. Yeah, well, when we bought the house, we wanted somewhere where I could either either a room I could make a studio or a space that I could turn into a studio. And uh, this room was kind of here, but it was really thrown together. And just at, they didn't even consider where the air conditioner was and put a, where the, a wall where it shouldn't have been. So they just tore it back out with a hammer and it was like super, super all over the place. But um, I basically came in and tightened everything up as a room and just made it a structurally sound room on its own. And you built a hallway going to it mm-hmm. because otherwise it would basically be opening into your garage. Yeah, the door, there's a door that goes outside and then a door that goes into my garage. So I just put a hallway up to split my garage in half and a hallway that goes to the staircase to go upstairs and made it more of an official entry into the house. Yeah, because I was going to say like mentally walking in, it feels legit. Like yeah. you come down the stairs and you got this cool hallway leading to your recording space. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Like, I mean, it, you know, you're working from home, you're doing all of your recording, all this kind of stuff, producing here and being able to have, I know it sounds silly, but just having that nice hallway instead yeah. of just looking over at your garage before you get into your oh, nice no. room, there's something mentally that does something to you, uh, at least it did for me walking. I was like, this is cool. Like this yeah. is a, this is a legit, like I feel like I'm walking into some actual pro recording studio. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You never, you never want to lead people into a space garage first. Right. You never go look at a house and real estate. It's like, let's start at the garage. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I kind of like that. Well, like, <laughs> if it's a super cool garage, yeah, true, true. I would like that a lot, but yeah. my garage at least at the time, was not super cool. Now, I notice you're not even using your garage for your car. That's because it's tiny in my car. My, well, my, my Honda's tiny, but it's kind of a it's a headache to get it in there. Oh, uh, okay. But okay. I told I always, myself I was going to put my station wagon in there when I, yeah. got, when I got here. There's no way it's going to fit in there. You don't think so? I always give people a hard time when they have a garage. When they actually have a garage and they don't use it as a garage. They yeah. don't park their car in there. But we, like, just, we just now replaced the garage door a few months ago. Now it actually opens and shuts. Oh, okay. So Great. one reason we haven't been using it is because I would have to open it with my hand and put a nine foot two by four. Oh, that's safe. To keep it up. So yeah. we, we're still getting used to it even working. Nice. So it's on the list to make it work. Good. Well, you did some things in the recording space here. You put up like a pallet wall to just kind of mm-hmm. soften things up. Uh, he's got some built-in areas and stuff and uh, some other stuff to absorb some sound. But what I thought was interesting, too, is that you don't have a ton of stuff that really soaks up sound. Yeah. But you described to me that it's more so about dispersing the sound. Yeah. If you were to ask a professional audio engineer guy that that designs pro studios, he would say it's a balance, balance of absorption and dispersion. That's true. But, I mean, I absorb some of it with some of these little things around, but I'm more concerned with just I don't want sounds coming from 
the source of the guitar hitting a, a wall and coming straight back into the other side of the mic. Or, you know, they need to hit the weird built-in bookshelf with all the giblets on it right? and go in a thousand different directions rather than coming straight back. So the way I have my studio built out is more of if I make a sound, it goes somewhere else. Right. It, it gets dispersed by something that's on the wall or yeah. the palette or whatever. And you do, you did keep, you had a drop ceiling in mm-hmm. here and you did keep that. So you've got like the acoustic tiles that mm-hmm. are, well, I don't know if they're like actual acoustic tiles, but it does basically the same thing. So that's, that's kind of absorbing some of that stuff too, instead of just having a drywall yeah. ceiling. And you didn't really do soundproofing because you're not necessarily concerned about the sound getting out really, right? Yeah. We're kind of in the woods and. Nobody really cares. I'm not, and I'm not tracking drums. If I was tracking drums in here, That's I would true. probably soundproof more and try to keep everything contained. But we're mostly doing acoustic guitars and vocals, and right, we do electric guitars. But even then, it's not for long periods of time. So and you guys that. have done with Wilkes and the Coles. You you've done some like little YouTube videos and stuff in mm-hmm. this space, right? Yeah, we've done a couple things in here. I can't remember. I can't remember what we've done that's that's officially official. Y'all did some here, cover songs. I th- I thought that you did. There's probably, it, yeah, it, there's probably something out there. Okay. Anyway, so you could look that up on YouTube. But yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, lots of other stuff we could get into, but uh, I think we covered a lot. And I really appreciate uh, you doing this. And I'm glad we finally did it. I learned a lot. I didn't know all that stuff about the voice, so that was super interesting to me. Uh, how can folks find you? Um, you can do. Um, I'm I'm everywhere. Just the name I go by my last name, which is just Wilkes, and my website is wilkesmusic.com. You can get to everywhere from there. But the more relevant thing musically would be wilkesandthecoles.com, which is going to be like my my solo stuff. You know, isn't being super updated currently because we're doing this other thing. So if you want to be more more up to date with what's current, it'd be wilkesandthecoles.com, gotcha. and then. Of course, socials and stuff for that, too. Right, right. We'll post all those links for sure. But And if you have any questions for Jason, uh, feel free to drop that on our Facebook group. I'll make sure to get that over to him. But, guys, thanks so much for sticking around once again. And we'll see you guys next time. Slow me down. I'm tired of running around. Chasing some. I can't see you missing what's right in front of me Slow me down This city never falls asleep These days that sounds like